the Hitman and Laura Croft learn their craft at the Sunspot? Surely not. Welcome to episode 2 of Sunspot Stories, tales inspired by my favourite arcade, now a building plot, but its memories live on. In this episode I catch up with my childhood friend Mark Parker. Mark played the machines in the Sunspot and when leaving school embarked on an interesting career in the video games industry, where he is now producer, writer and partner at the Bearded Ladies, who are responsible for the highly rated Mutant Year Zero and the much anticipated Miasma Chronicles. Mark talks to me about the older systems, playtesting and of course the Sunspot Arcade. I asked Mark, what did he remember about the Sunspot? What do I remember about it? Well, I used to live next door to it. Uh, so it was kind of a big influence on me as a kid, I would say. Uh, I, uh, I used to visit it uh, on a daily basis with money or without money. We used to go play a lot of Section Z. Bobble was a pretty good one. Gorgar. The, the very first talking pinball table yeah. with a big red demon on it. That was pretty pretty cool. Those were, those are games we played a, a heck of a lot. But then there was a lot of old, even older games there as well. When you went, was it, was it any time particularly busy? I mean, Saturdays. And, and, it, and, and, you know, during the summer holiday, of course, it was absolutely packed with people. And on the long summer evenings, there was always a lot of people around. But there was also the winter where it was just completely empty and you had it to yourself pretty much. Mostly mostly weekends and, and, and holidays. So with, with the um, old, older machines, um, what, uh, what, what what ones did you play there? Cool. Uh, well, I'm not saying... Actually, Gorgar is right from the 70s, like 79. So it's actually quite an old game. Um, but older machines, well, things like Phoenix, mm. uh, Gorf with the great speech on it, insert coin, space cadet, right? Uh, yeah. that, was, that was pretty good. There was, uh, uh, what was the other game that we played a lot of? There was the one, the submarine one. No, sorry, no, wait a minute. I'm thinking of, bat- I'm getting mixed up with Battle Zone. There was Atari Battle Zone with the, mm-hmm. where you had the sort of binoculars you look through. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. There's vector graphics. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, really, really cool looking for its time. But yeah, I played a lot of Phoenix, though. I remember playing a lot of Phoenix. I think I played Galaxian quite a bit there as well. I don't think we had Galaga. We had Galaxian, which is kind of the weak equivalent of, of Galaga, I would say. But uh, still a good game. Yeah, it was um, the, the submarine game, actually. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but I remember it, it was it was a blue machine. Um, and, and, the, and the graphics, I'm not sure if it was just a monochrome graphics, but you were the ship at the top, weren't you? And you were slinging death... Death charge. Death charge. Sega Death charge. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Oh, well, I want to do a deep dive on that at some point <laughs> in the future. So I was going to find out as much as possible about that game. And, no pun, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember Night Driver? That was in there as well. It was a really yeah. boring game. It was like an Atari driving game, wasn't it? Yeah, and it just had the only thing you had on screen was the um, was the posts at the side of the road. It was it was filled with a lot of like really good games, um, but that tower is just. I always used to wonder what was in that tower. I never got a chance to have a look. Did you ever? Did you swing by it when they were demolishing and sort of like see what the, what secret it was hiding? Well, yeah, the I managed to get down there when the tiles came off, but the tower 
I, I wasn't down there the day when the tower came down. Um, I, I should imagine it came down quite quickly in the end. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and that, that, that's the other thing about it, isn't it? I mean, if you told anyone today what they would uh, just do with, with the machines, it would be, uh, uh, it would give people a heart attack, wouldn't it? I remember because there was a place where they had a Sunday market out the back. And actually, mm-hmm. on Sunday, sometimes I used to help the guys uh, to putting away or putting out the, the stalls, actually, I used to get like a couple of quid sometimes, they open them. There's some guys there. But um, that place, there was often like wheels and screws and hinges and things off the machines where they, yeah, you're right, they hacked them up and burnt them. And nowadays people would be like, what the fuck? You know, that's crazy. This is like, yeah. this is a crime. But we were kids. We couldn't do much about it, really. Even if we managed to persuade them to give us some of the stuff they were destroying, we wouldn't have known it was going to be so expensive these days. Oh, absolutely. I think, though, I remember them taking apart a Japanese space invaders out the back, you know, and it's sort of like, we, we, you know, I think I had the planet, the the planet on the mirror, you know, the rising planet. Now, I, I just, I took that home. It's made, it's made of proper plate metal, it was. It was quite, you know, it wasn't a light thing. It wasn't made out of plastic. Um, and it was a lovely orange colour. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I took that home. And then when I got bored of it, I sort of threw it away, you know. <laughs> <laughs> along, along with a, a, an asteroids board and the, the complete instructions to asteroids and and all sorts really but um yeah so yeah it's amazing but it, it goes to show I, I guess that it was uh we we we, we start at very valuable goes down to worthless junk junk and it goes up to um very valuable again i mean it's hard to remember every single game that they had but there was a lot of older games for sure in the like the the, the mid nineties or so, I don't know if they ever put anything newer in there. You may have, of course, been yeah. by and mm-hmm. checked it, but when I when we were kids, it even in like nineteen eighty eight or something, they still had all the eighty six. They had Bubble Bobble, and actually, it was a bootleg Bubble Bobble called Bobble Bobble, and you can that's an easy indicator for the bootleg bird because the original had a chip on it, which is like a little picture of one of the two bubble blowing diamonds. Was quite a well known thing, right? And that chip, that did some stuff with the maths. So actually, there's a lot of different bonuses and things that you get incorrectly. Like you get like more chance to get the magic potion round where you pick up the flowers and stuff like that on the bootleg ball. So even though it was probably cranked up in difficulty, we also had like the uh, lot more power ups floating around and stuff. Now, recently, some people have figured out how to fix that. So actually, the bootleg boards, you're going to actually get them fixed and they will play accurately but what we were playing was definitely a bootleg but we used to play yeah we used to play that and there was section z i think section z is a 1986 game if i remember 85 sorry 87 i don't think there's not i don't think there's anything older oh sorry newer than 86 they got football champion which was a 1990 that that, that got in there and that took over from kick and run which was the Mexico 86 bootleg oh, we version. We that, yeah. That's a yeah. good memory. Though. Yeah, I remember yeah. Kick and Run, which was the, Mex- yeah, the Mexico 86 one. That was a great game, actually. We really Brilliant. had a lot of fun playing that one. Yeah, Splat- Splatterhouse went in. That was that went in next to Gorgar. Gorgar's game. It was un- probably unplugged for the last four or five years of its life. But, um, yeah, that, that's... Oh, crikey, yeah. That was, um, yeah, I think the... Uh, 
because it was a mechanical one, and like you say, it actually um, it had it had voices on it, didn't it? Me, Gorgar, and and that, and that heartbeat noise when you were playing it as well. Yeah, yeah. So that was, I reckon, yeah, that 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 that's worth pounds, pounds, pounds. That's for sure. <clears throat> it's the first pinball table with uh, with speech in it, mm. uh, Gorgar. Yeah. yeah, and it was just it left a big impression on me. It had a great artwork. It was like a heavy metal cover kind of yeah. artwork. Really beautiful. Uh, art on these machines so all hand well not hand painted but of, obviously the original image was all all hand painted you know professionally painted it wasn't uh you know made in photoshop or anything it was actually yeah. you know like they used to do old movie posters everything was had to be painted originally so yeah gorgar fantastic but yeah super uh, football champ i remember that game a lot the uh the taito one the scaling effects in it yes. yeah yeah that that was actually good yeah the scaling effect where you knocked the photographer over if you missed the uh <laughs> The, the goal and the photographer will go over and the goal kick and it will zoom in, zoom out and there was uh, all sorts of mad effects. And did, did you think that was the absolute pinnacle of um, of, of, of games back then? Because I, I did, you know, I thought, wow, you know, this ain't going to get any better. <laughs> well, we did that with arcade stuff. I mean, you've got to remember now, uh, we have the ability to play games at really high fidelity at home. Um, when we were going to arcades, when arcades were like popular more popular than, than they are now for example they're getting a resurgence for, for collectors of course but when they were like officially you know originally released it, it was like going to like e3 every every month every week uh, each time you looked at the newest machine they were all trying to up the technology so things like football champ with the scaling that was yeah it was amazing when it came out absolutely and it was always a case that because sunspot not being the only arcade in the area you'd get an idea on, on what machines they weren't getting as well. And you're thinking, all right, you know, we'll better, better go down, better go down to Wonderland and we'll play um, the main event or, or quartet or super hang on. And um, outrun they had down there as well. Thunderblade. I mean, crikey, they, they had quite a strong old address. Space Harrier, I think they did too. Yeah, Space I remember when Space Harrier come out and, um, you know, we, we, we crowded around any poor bugger that was putting twenty p in that machine because that was like it was it was like it was incredible not seeing anything like that the, the, the scrolling floor and, and the hovering guy and, and it's just a feel good tune to it. Yeah, it was an amazing yeah. game actually because um, it had the, the super scalar technology. That's that's the name of the, the technology they used. And I, I, I always liked the, the the story of Space Harrier because actually originally it was like a, a plane that you controlled and as a joke one of the developers put a, like a flying uh, guy on there and they're like actually that's a pretty good idea so they actually developed it then with the with the the character uh, flying around with the carrying the sort of bazooka thing uh, so yeah it's, it's it, it, was, it was amazing graphics in those and yeah wonderland we used to go down to there was a lot of like quartet was a classic we used, after school uh, sometimes we'd go and play four player quartet that was kind of a that was a real summer thing that was that was and um I, I actually was thinking about that the other day i mean um my favorite character in that wasn't mary but i ended up being mary because <laughs> i think the screen was either the color was washed out on that particular version or that was just basically the way the graphics were but the red of mary you could actually pick up if you had like edgar or, or the yellow guy you, you'd always just get wiped out because it took ages to find out where you were on the screen I think the characters are called Edgar, Mary, Joe, and Lee. I think that's the oh, name of wow. the characters. I, uh, I mean, after after Clacton, uh, I ended up in a place called Luton, and I actually started a mail order company, 
and uh, and bought half a, of a shop, a computer shop. And I ran a computer shop for a number of years with another guy. And then uh, I went traveling kind of uh, around the world a little bit and then um, came back and became a pawnbroker. Uh, ran uh, the, the buying counter at cash converters at one point. And then, <laughs> and then from there, I got into um, testing games at IDOS. So mm-hmm. I became a tester at IDOS in, in London. And we worked on games uh, like uh, Commando Strike Force, Tomb Raider Legend, uh, and like lots of other like championship manager, lots of games. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I went to uh, IO Interactive, where I uh, became a, a lead. And then I became a uh, associate producer on the Hitman games. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, in 2017, I let a lot of people go. They fired me for stealing pens. Uh, I like to tell people that. It wasn't really the case. Um, they fired a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and I got uh, let go. And I didn't see it as a bad thing, actually. I was kind of bored of working on Hitman. As much as I like Hitman, it's the same <laughs> situation every time. Um and then I got the chance to work with some friends in a company called The Bearded Ladies in, in Malmo, just across the water from, from Denmark, where IO is, by the way. I had to move over to, to, to Denmark to work at IO yeah. in 2008. And um, now I'm uh, the producer. I also write. And I also um, am one of the partners of the company, The Bearded Ladies. So we made a game a few years ago, 2018. We made a game called Mutant Year Zero. Uh, Road to Eden, which uh, was a pretty popular game, making a new game now called Miasma Chronicles, and that's right, actually there's some yeah. videos and stuff out about it at the moment. So, and what, what what's that what, what's that game about? Is it like a first Ooh. person shooter, or is it an RPG? Or it's more of an RPG. It's it's, uh, it's um, what we did with Mutant uh, was we crossed uh, uh, an RPG sort of adventure game with exploration and like a very strong narrative. Um, but with a tactical, like XCOM-style shooter. And this is what we're doing with Miasma Chronicles. But what we did in Mutant, people really liked. So we basically figured out what everybody liked or what most people liked, and we turned all the dials up to, like, I'm not going to say to 11, but at least to uh, 9.9. And that's, oh. uh, that's, what we're, that's what we're doing at the moment. Hmm. And that's, uh, that's going to come out uh, next year. It'll be on Steam. It'll be on... Uh, Epic, it will be on Xbox and PS5. So yeah, mm-hmm. a few different platforms, probably some more, but I haven't I haven't got uh, any uh, firm details there yet. So it'll end up on my little switch in about another four years' time, yeah. Well, I'll say probably not. <laughs> I mean, the switch is great. I love the switch. Don't get me wrong. I play the switch a lot, and I think the games are fantastic on it. But the the problem is. Um, trying to put these crammies huge games on the Switch. No, unfortunately not. If we make a game for the Switch ground up, though, it'll be would make a good one for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I guess it's like put was it a, is it a quart in a pint pot? I guess when you're working on the Switch because you've worked on such big, such such big systems, and then what you're trying to do, I guess, is you're trying to shave everything off for it to be optimized on a on on a thinner computer really because that's why i like the switch uh personally i'm a bit of a casual you know and and, and everything um but you know when you see what what the what the daddy versions are you can you can really see what sometimes what what allowances have to be made for it to, to run on on a, on a smaller console yeah um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the things on the switch like super mario odyssey and zelda they're fantastic games 
Uh, Kirby, I actually, I really enjoyed Kirby Forgotten uh, Land. That was really good. There's some games there that, 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 that they're designed for the platform and they really look good and they mm-hmm. really play good and they're really smooth and nice. So it, it's not the platform. It's just, yeah, you, you, in the old days, we used to make games on PC and then port them all to console. And so when they would go out on PS2 or original Xbox, um, they would always take a compromise uh, on the on the on the on the console side of things. And uh, nowadays, the big free platforms, PC and the series Xbox Series S and X and the PS5, they're very similar. We actually got the game running pretty quickly on the on the consoles this time around. But yeah, the Switch. Let's see. I really like it, uh, but it needs its games made for it, I would say. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, so when you mention all the consoles then, what is the what is your, the best console to, to work on and what is the best console that you've ever owned? The best console to work on? Oh, there's some awful consoles that we worked on. I mean, I, I can tell you some of the worst. Game Boy oh, Advance, yeah. that was a proper headache to work on. Uh, yeah. Terrible. PSP, also awful to work on. So many rules, and the player, uh, the, the, the the you know the the player can remove the memory stick whilst turning the the, the land button on and off and uh, suspending it and things. Um, no, but they they were just technically quite hard to to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. The best console I think we we worked on probably actually was PS2. I don't know; it seemed to be a lot. And the original Xbox actually. Um, I think the PS um, the Xbox One. And the PS5, PS5 is actually, I would say PS5 is one of the best ones, and Xbox is is close uh, at this point for, to work on. Of course, our game will look the same and play the same on both of them. It will play very well. But, um, yeah, my favourite consoles that, that I have or I have owned, uh, I would say I'm really big fan of Super Famicom, the, the Japanese Super uh, Nintendo. I really like the, the design of it. It looks good. But my my uh, I would say the Super Famicom, but I also am a big fan of the PC Engine. I have a lot of PC Engine games. And the fact that there's such a small machine and the game's really high quality, these little these little hue cards with like really good arcade conversions on for the time, like that were the best versions of most of the games that came out. Yeah, like Operation Wolf, it looks so close to the arcade. R-Type, of course, everybody knows yeah. that one. You know, Mr. Helly, loads and loads of really good uh, arcade games and they're like a tiny console. So mm-hmm. I do like the PC engine, but the Super Famicom for me, lots of great memories with that. So when, so when you uh, come on to uh, playtest a machine, uh, playtest play a game on a machine, uh, is that still done very much in a t- traditional way? Do you actually have to cart people in off the street to actually play the game? Well, we have, we have yeah. Yeah. Uh, who test the game. So they're professionals that, that that play the game and they they're not just playing it, but they, they test features. So say a new feature goes in, hey, we've got this thing where you can throw a grenade or whatever, uh, they will then check that. And they do other stuff as well. They, they check performance, they do other things. Um, but we do get people sometimes on the street, we do get focus testers to mm-hmm. come and test the game. Uh, we do hire companies who do that on our behalf or even companies that do like sort of dry runs of reviews Companies that have groups of magazine or website uh, editors for big publications that that do this like a part-time thing or they are uh, retired from the press 
and they do evaluations and they say to us, here's what we think your score of your game will be. Where's the strengths? Where's the weaknesses? And we use that data uh, uh, combined to, to try and improve the game. They give us the Metacritic evaluation. Now, Metacritic doesn't really mean everything because user score is actually a really big part of this. And, and actually, lately in the press, we've seen games where they get really good Metacritic but they get a poor user score. Or it can be the opposite, where they get a poor Metacritic, but the users seem to have affinity with it. So it's tricky. Uh, but the, what we do when we send these, uh, get these reports sent to us is that we use this information to try and steer us in the right way. They might mention stuff, and then we go, oh. Sometimes they confirm stuff that we also thought needs to be confirmed and if they say something that we already have in mind it's just a confirmation that we're on the right track with something at least uh in this regard so it's not it's not a silver bullet but it's definitely something that will help make the best game we can of course we yeah we cannot steer like a complete u-turn so if they said oh we don't like the main characters or or the I, I think this game should be set, you know, under the sea and everyone should be driving submarines. Well, they would never say that. But if they did that, we'd be like, oh, you know, thanks for nothing. Change the reviewer. <laughs> but no, generally, it's constructive criticism that we can work with. It's concerns. It's do they understand the tutorials? Do they understand the story? These things. So when the game is uh, done, is there actually a physical game that you can buy or is this all like on a, on a download? Well, at the moment, uh, we haven't specified if we're going to have a physical release yet. But at the trend now is moving more to digital with games. I mean, like a few years ago, I laughed at it when they, people were saying, oh, music, that'll all be digital. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I like having my CD with the little booklet with the, the words written in there. But I haven't bought a CD for years. I use Spotify. And then movies, some people hardcore still buy Blu-rays or even HD DVDs if they still make I don't even know they, if they make them. But now I don't, you know, I stream through streaming services. Um, so games is kind of the last bastion of that. And even when you do buy your Switch game and you, you put it into the machine the first time, sometimes there's a hefty install. And actually, because of the size of the Switch cards, they're quite expensive to buy Switch cards, depending on the memory that you want to use. Some companies opt to have 50% of the game, you know, to be downloadable. So, you know, in 10, 20 years' time, you dig out your Switch and you go, oh, I want to play that game again. You put the game in and you might not even be able to play it. So, might not, yeah, might not even find the server to handshake just to download the important part of the thing, which is the game. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a few years ago, they did this quite famously. Tony Hawk's, one of the Tony Hawk's games, they put nothing on the disc, absolutely nothing. It was just like an installer. Um, so, I mean, now you also buy games that are on the shelf, but there's a box. But inside there's a bit of cardboard with a redeem code on it. Um, so, I mean, I like physical stuff, but I like physical stuff that I can take and use. You know, like I've got Game Boy Advance games that I worked on. Uh, I know that I can plug that into a Game Boy Advance in 20 years' time and show my grandchildren, and they'll be like, this is shit. And I'll be yeah. like, yeah, well, fuck you, kids. <laughs> yeah. so, when you go back to the uh, GBA, I, I must ask, you know, you say it was like a piece of shit to work on, but uh, what, what games did you work on so we, we can find them and, and pillory you for life? <laughs> and, and, tell, and tell me how bad they were. Actually, yeah. um, there's only one game that I, I worked on GBA, and that was Tomb Raider Legend. I was the lead tester on that. 
on the GBA. And the reason why it was hard to work on the GBA is because um, the, the dev kit and the test kit for the GBA is, is made by a company called Intelligent Systems. Now, Intelligent Systems uh, is this company that makes all of the Nintendo dev uh, equipment. They are uh, like a second party. There's some games that came out from Intelligent Systems, such as Mario Kart GBA, was actually made by Intelligent Systems. So there's like a developer, like a, a sort of a, a semi-internal development company for Nintendo. Anyway, all the dev kits are made to be as awkward as possible for the idea that if they ever get out into the public, people won't want to use them. Oh. Um, so they're all ugly looking, big metal boxes with wires poking out. And, and with the... The Game Boy Advance, it comes with the original Game Boy Advance, the old purple one, if you remember that one, the, the very first version where you still didn't have a backlight and you had to tilt it to look at the sun to get the right angle. And that's attached to a big, thick beige cable to like a blue, uh, I think it's a blue box, yeah, and metal box. And it was really hard because we couldn't see it half the time to test it. So we used to actually use, and it was early days in emulation for those uh, for those uh, consoles but we used to use an emulator for the console so we could do the core part of our testing but we would re regress we would check any bugs on the original hardware to make sure that it worked the other part was very difficult to work with nintendo was that they have very they have a set of rules they called them the lot test and the lot test had some secret rules in there that they would never tell you so you could get an issue. Let's just say on the title screen you had a s too many one one too many full stops. So it might say press press start to begin full stop. But if you had a second full stop, they would say no no uh, we're not going to test any further. We've found an issue and we're going to stop. When they found an issue, they would just stop from that point. So if that was on the very first screen of the game, they would stop testing it and you would fail the submission because you had to submit it to them to approve it. Uh, did they mark your homework and then not actually tell you why it failed? So you had to keep. Uh, they did tell you afterwards, but you have to figure it out. I mean, one. Of, I mean, they, they've 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 softened their rules these days because I think I think their point was they didn't want to be testing the game for the developer. They just want to make sure that the game's approved that they're in. And their argument is, you know, you guys should have tested this, and you guys should have found issues, but. They, they did become very uh, particular. Actually, what's really funny, when we worked on Nintendo DS, there were, um, if you remember, I don't know if you remember, there was like a wireless connection you could have in the DS. You could play multiple uh, players on some of the game. And it had like a little antenna image in the top, I think it's the top right of one of the two screens. I can't remember which one it was now. That would show you your signal strength. So, uh, and Nintendo sent out a memo. They said, will developers please make sure they do not try and fake this? Because people were basically putting a hard-coded thing showing full connectivity and, and leaving that in the game. But Nintendo probably put it into like a lead box and they saw that it was showing full. <laughs> um, they, they had to deal with some stupid stuff, I think, from the developers as well. So perhaps they just had enough of it, really. Was there anything like from your childhood in the Sunspot that you think um, sort of like, carried on into your professional gaming career amusements itself the building and infrastructure not really but the games within for sure uh definitely i mean i did learn some good stealth mechanics from going into sunspot like we'd go in there there was these coin pushers and you'd we'd be there just loitering around and you'd hear this sort of <laughs> when the coins would come down and then i would grab 
or we would grab the coins as quick as possible before the old granny, because there was a granny that was working in the coin booth. And she she would take time to rotate. I don't know what she was. Maybe she was an android from the future. She, she would take ages to rot rotate. And by the time she rotated, if you were quick enough, you could pretend to be a legitimate customer. And you're like, oh, I'm still putting coins into the penny pusher. And she'd be like, oh, fucking kids. And we didn't then take those coins and then just spend them in the arcade. I mean, if you think about it, the arcade didn't really lose money. We didn't have money to spend. I mean, was it right? No, not really. But, you know, we didn't take the money anywhere else, did we? Uh, no, no, that's true, actually. Yeah, when you think about it that way, it's sort of like whenever we uh, found like a, a couple of credits left and it paid out 150, 150 went in the machine next to it. It wasn't, um, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't, well, we, it, it was perhaps a victimless crime in a way. I think all we did was perhaps occupy a machine. I mean, if there's a queue of people, you could imagine that we were depriving people of, of, of using the machine, but that, that was never the case really, was it? So uh, no, We never yeah, took we, the money out of the place. If we took the money away, then yeah. It's, mm. it's, I mean, yeah, technically it is, a, it is a crime, but yeah, you know, yeah, we were, we were a bit naughty, but you know, no one's going to say anything to us now. We never hurt anybody. We just, we just, uh, we just had, we're broke and we yeah. just uh, wanted to play games and, and, and 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 hang out you know yeah. um, we were off the streets weren't we at the end of the day we were kept off the streets and uh, they were sort of de facto youth clubs and um, uh, you know if i wanted to come and find you i'd go to i'd go to the sunspot and look you know look around a certain part of the arcade and you're either there or you weren't um if yeah. i need yeah. to avoid other people i'd avoid certain arcades that's the way it was that's all different people were lived in different arcades didn't they really and it was um uh, it, yeah, we, before the days of mobile phone, if you wanted to find someone, you'd go and find someone in the arcade and go, oh, so-and-so been in, you know, and that's the way the way you would find out. Uh, the you know. arcades, though, for different games. Like, we talked a bit about Wonderland, where we went down and played, like, those Sega, those classic Sega games. I even think they had Hot Rod down there. I can't remember the four-player driving game. Um, all Sega stuff, actually. They must have a good deal with Sega Europe or something going on there. Um, and there was El Dorado, uh, sorry, El Dorado, I can't speak properly, that was quite close to you. And that had uh, Karnov and Rastan in that. Mm -hmm. Big impact on my life, those games. The, the soundtrack of Rastan is, is, it blows you away, doesn't it? And then the parallax scrolling when you're walking past in the castle and you see the sky moving at a different speed to the uh, background, uh, but that's a different speed to Rastan himself. It was... Um, um, I, th I think the glass in the front was bulletproof because that used to get smacked so many times. Yeah, uh, yeah. was amazing. It had like a sky that like used to sort of change colour. Uh, and the music was fantastic. I mean, I got the board and it's I play it because I like the music. I mean, the game is great. I still think it's fun. The, the music's made by a, the Taito. They have an in-house sound team. It's called Zuntata. Uh, ah. They made sound for games like Darius and Ninja Warriors. Ninja Warriors, you remember the soundtrack for that? The free screen Ninja Warriors. Really good soundtrack. Um, yeah, they made a lot of good uh, game soundtrack with this in-house band, and yeah, Rastan. Once taking my BMX on the way home, I would go past El Dorado because my home was like literally next door to some sort, literally next door. So uh, I, I, I was spoiled, but I still used to I used to cheat on Sunspot with other arcades. Yeah, no, that was, that was the uh, the El Dorado that had uh, Ghosts and Goblins in it as well, and Choplifter. Um, I remember yeah, yeah. there as well. Fantastic game as well. Yeah, um, 
Really, really good. But yeah, I used to go to El Dorado, but and Karnov was in there. God, that used to punish me. And there was Cosmo Police Galavan, which was that uh, like a platformer that was in El Dorado as well. Been absolutely brilliant. If I get any questions or anything like that, would that be right to come back and ask you? Because I think that with the, with the things that you were discussing today. Um, I think you know there, 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 there might be a lot of people who might want to ask you more uber technical questions as as we're, as we're getting older. There might be people who are developing for the GBA and go bloody hell, yeah, you know, what is X Y Z? So would that be alright just to, to get back in touch? Yeah. I mean, I'm a developer, but I uh, I'm not super technically minded. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can tell you stories about putting desk fans up in front of CRT screens, so I can tell you if they're running at fifty or sixty hertz. People's company Porsches being locked up somewhere in London and they forgot the key so they got a new one the next week that's absolutely bonkers, <laughs> absolutely bonkers. <laughs> my, I didn't have one I didn't, get, I didn't even get a company lunchbox let alone a, a, a Porsche and thanks to Mark there and that wraps up another Sunspot story you can find us on YouTube on Bite High No Limits channel and also as a podcast wherever you get those from and if you want to email in please do sunspotstories at gmail.com until next time see ya Thank you.